My name is Ken DeLage. I serve as one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. We're going to continue a short series uh, that we're doing on the concept of humility, of pride and humility, and of clothing ourselves in humility. I just want to say up front as an act of hopefully humility, I don't get all these ideas myself. In fact, you can be confident. I don't get any of these ideas myself. Um, it is from benefiting from others. And one that I have particularly benefited in this series is C.J. Mahaney and his book, Humility. We have several copies out front. I uh, wanted to highlight that to you. Uh, you can get it. So this is over at our resource center. If you're unfamiliar with our resource center, it's really simple. Drop in the little money place, whatever you think you'd like to pay for whatever the resource is. We don't mark prices or anything. Just whatever you can afford or whatever you want to put in, put that in, grab the book. If you can't put anything in and you need the book, grab the book anyway. Uh, and I hope this will be a benefit to you. And if we run out again, we have run out once before, if we run out again, I will order a third round of books for us. Uh, it's certainly worth your time. So one of the best wartime leaders of all time has to be Winston Churchill. Not a general, but a political leader who led his country through his use of, of oratory. He led with the spoken word. I think history is it's too recent to know whether there's a good comparison, but President Zelensky has at least made me think of Churchill over these past weeks. He was, of course, also, though, a politician. So not only did he marshal his words against his enemy, Hitler, but if you were so unfortunate to be on the opposite side of the aisle as Winston Churchill, he was going to marshal his words against you, as he did against a particular member of his opposition one day, speaking to the press of this particular member, he said this. He said, oh yes, he is a modest little man who has a good deal to be modest about. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I mean, he can say so much in so few words. A modest little man who has a good deal to be modest about. I think we could update the language just slightly and say a humble little man who has a great deal to be humble about. The fact of the matter is, while he intended that as an insult, we could well apply that to ourselves. We have a great deal to be humble about. In light of the gospel and what it says about us and what it says about the grace of God, we have a great deal to be humble about. The fact is, in, in this church, in this group there, the Lord has given us gifts. Praise God for the gifts he gives to his church. enables us to serve one another, serve others as well. And yet, we're ordinary. We're not particularly impressive. Not a whole lot that makes us stand out as exceptional. What is exceptional is our lives, in our lives is the exceptional grace of God extended to us. The exceptional love of God that we are recipients of and the exceptional future that he has promised 
to us. That's, that's exceptional. But otherwise, we have a good deal to be modest about. But somehow, that doesn't stop me from being proud. Give me just the smallest amount of being better than average at something, and I will be tempted to be proud about it. I don't have to be, you know, awesome, just slightly above the curve, and I'm going to be proud about that. Or in an area where I'm slightly below the curve, my pride will show itself there as well, pining away for what I don't have. Wishing for all my heart that I could show everybody the greatness that I know I have. It just doesn't show up very well in this particular area. Pride is so at work. And today we're going to take as our text 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And actually only part of it. I'm going to start reading partway through that verse. So follow along with me. 1 Peter 5, 5 says... Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Read it again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, I pray for grace. It would help us to not just be hearers only, but doers of your word. Yes, Lord. In your name. Amen. So the command of the passage is that we would clothe ourselves in humility. Now, I think we could st- safely say that no one ever accidentally got dressed. Now, people might look like they got dressed accidentally. That's a different issue. (laughs) But no one actually accidentally, oops, look at that. I got dressed this morning. You know? The, The idea being that it takes intentionality to get dressed. You have to decide to get dressed. And then you have to, probably harder, decide what to wear as you get dressed. Is it going to be this or that or the other? It's not, it's not an accident. And so this passage calls us to an intentionality of getting dressed. Of getting dressed in what? Of getting dressed in humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. It's scary to me when I approach a passage and I think, have I ever done this? You ever or do you regularly think, how should I put on humility today? What does it look like for me to clothe myself in humility? And then... The passage gives the reason. Clothe yourselves, all of you, just in case you were thinking that maybe it wasn't talking to you. (laughs) Clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another. For, and here's the reason, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These are opposite sides of the coin, and yet they are both so profound and ought to be very meaningful to the believer, to the believer who knows that they live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. For the believer that knows that I desperately need God's grace to make it today. The idea of the opposition of God should rightly chasten us and brace us. How do I avoid that? And then there's a promise as well, but God gives grace to the humble. I need grace. I need grace. There's not an hour that goes by. I don't need grace. How can I get more grace? That's what the passage tells us. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the one who clothes themselves with humility toward one another. And so it is that I think we have finished what you might call our text work this morning. This is what it means. Now what I want to do is go through some ways that we can apply this. Now don't mistake. This is not application. Application is what you do when you're not sitting here. That's application. This is talking about ways that you could perhaps walk out application. All right? Some ideas. You might even say, these are things that should be hanging in your closet that you may clothe yourself with as appropriate, depending on the weather, I suppose. I have quite a few. We actually started this last week. If you were with us last week, there were six of them that we covered last week. encourage you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't been able to hear it. But here's some more articles of clothing that we can clothe ourselves with. And the first, judge charitably. Judge charitably. To judge charitably of someone is to assume the best of their motives or their intentions based on what you can see. It is a decision not to assume the worst, but rather to assume with a heart of charity towards them, a heart of love towards them, the best. The the opposite of this we might call sinful judgment. Sinful judgment is, it is sinful, that is, it is wrong to do. But it also, it, it, it more accurately means it's a judgment of sin on someone else. It is assuming that they are sinning from within. A sinful judgment doesn't just see the actions of someone else. It assumes the motives behind those actions. And it assumes the worst of those motives behind those actions. Here's the dangerous thing about an assumption. You don't know you're doing it because you're making an assumption, (laughs) right? This is something that we have to kind of get outside ourselves a little bit and realize we are all inclined towards sinfully judging each other, but God would call us to charitably judge each other. It's a prideful thing to judge someone Sinfully. First of all, 
Whenever we do that, recognize that the pride has some skin in the game. Anytime you can sinfully judge someone else, you get to look down on them because of X, Y, Z that they are. And so naturally, it puts us in the position above them. That makes pride happy, and it makes it very easy for us to sinfully judge others. But secondly, it assumes a knowledge that we simply do not have. Humility is aware of, of what we know and what we don't know. Pride just assumes on and on that it knows things that it cannot and does not know. Here's what Proverbs says about the motives of our heart. Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. The purpose in man's heart is like deep water. What does that mean? It means you cannot discover it by looking at the surface. It means you cannot fully plumb the depth of what's motivating action by just seeing the external action. It means that it takes effort and work and questions and time to discern what's really going on. And how many of you, do you feel like you can adequately do this with your own art? Because I feel oftentimes like I'm clueless about what just rose up in here. What was that? We can't do this well with ourselves, not to mention to assume that we can see the depths of what is motivating someone else. Let me just give a couple examples Suppose somebody doesn't show up to an event. You've got a care group event or, or something like that. Somebody doesn't show up. And it is so easy to see that they don't show up and to begin thinking things like they don't care. They aren't committed. They are lazy. Perhaps you serve in an area in church and you've served in that area for a long time and you're aware of someone else that you just never see Serving. How easy is it to go from that external reality, that action that you see, okay, I don't see them serving, and to move into judgments of the heart, that they are selfish, that they are self-centered, that they are immature, that that's just how that generation is. And how easy is it to forego the questions that might rightly come to our mind that maybe the person who isn't serving is up all night working the night before Sunday, as many in our church actually are, or up all night with the baby, or they're struggling with health issues, or they're walking through depression, or they're just newly saved, or they're recovering from abuse, or they're working 80 hours a week, or they're experiencing grief, or they're simply serving in an area that you don't observe them. Pride doesn't ask those questions. It just jumps in with the answer and with the sinful answer. Humility admits what it does not know. I don't know your heart. I don't know why you did what you did. I don't know what motivated that. And then humility assumes the best about brothers and sisters until it's proven otherwise. It's going to assume the best. This is what love does, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is going to hope the best about a brother and sister in Christ until such evidence is brought forward that, okay, yep, 
they have said that they did that out of selfishness. I will believe that they were selfish now. <laughs> right? But it is quick to hope the best, slow to judge the worst. Brothers and sisters, let us judge each other charitably. Judge charitably, number two. Cry publicly. Cry publicly. Now, I don't mean at Costco. <laughs> They've got great deals, but you should not be moved to tears at Costco. I don't mean in middle school. All right, don't worry. But there should be a place. And when I say publicly, I don't mean, you know, this big, I mean with someone who knows you, who cares for you. With some brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a humble thing. You know why? Because cry, to cry is to be out of control a little bit. And that's uncomfortable for pride. Pride wants, to, pride wants to be dignified. It's hard to be dignified and blubber at the same time. <laughs> you know? Where you, and you can't even quite catch, catch your, your breath, right? But friend, there are things in this world worth crying about together. There are things you need to cry about with brothers and sisters. It will do you good. The, the, the child that's not walking with the Lord, who you pray for every day, you've got to be able to talk about that with somebody. And it's probably appropriate to cry. The marriage that is just so hurting right now. The suffering that's being walked through, the fear of the diagnosis that just came. You need this, and your brothers and sisters need this too. They need to be able to come in. And Isn't this the essence of what it means to bear one another's burdens? Doesn't that mean that we're willing to share our burdens and feel something for each other's burdens? So, you, you, you know, you bring the fact that your, your child, perhaps, isn't walking with the Lord, and you're crying, and so are they. And then they're sharing this, and they're brought to tears, and so are you. This is a, an act of humility, a, a way that we can clothe ourselves. And it says, clothe yourselves, every one of you, with humility toward one another. There's an opportunity here to purpose to humble yourself in front of others. Humility is willing to look weak, as we're so afraid that we do when we cry. Humility is willing to look weak. So cry publicly. Number three, maybe the opposite of that, laugh at yourself. <laughs> laugh at yourself. Let me just start with laugh. I think laughter takes a degree of humility because, again, it's not always very dignified. You know, you... People with great dignity can smile. But to get into a real belly laugh, let's just admit that the phrase belly laugh does not imply dignity whatsoever, right? Like laugh till you snort kind of laughter, you know, is, a, is an undignified kind of thing to be about. And yes, we live in a broken world and there's a lot to be sorry about. But we have the best hope in all the world. Your future is secure in Jesus Christ. And yep, there's some suffering between the now and the then. But the then is coming. 
We ought to be able to laugh. We amongst all people should be joyful. And at times, that joy should come out as laughter. And at times, it should be a laughter about yourself. You know, there are things to take serious in this world. Take God seriously. Take your sin seriously. Take your marriage, the mission that God's given you on this planet seriously. But, but of all the things to take seriously, don't take yourself seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Learn to laugh. There are things that are funny about you. <laughs> Can I say that to you lovingly? There are, th there are quirks, a little strange, that other people laugh about. <laughs> you may as well laugh too, you know? I think it's an act of humility to laugh at the idiosyncrasies that God has given you. Can, if I could just commend Pastor Adam. Uh, for those of you that don't know Adam, he left almost a year ago now to head up to Maryland to pastor up there. But I would struggle to recall a sermon that he preached where he didn't laugh at himself over something and invite us in on the joke as he went along. Um, that was humility on display. Praise God for it. So laugh at yourself. Number four, pray. Pray. Pride doesn't like to pray. Pride likes to be strong. Prayer admits that I'm weak. Pride likes to be in control. Prayer admits I'm not in control. And in fact, invites someone else to be in control. Pride insists that I can figure this out on my own. Prayer invites God to figure it out for you and lead you through it. There are many reasons to pray. But one of the reasons is that it cultivates humility. It, it's a, an act of clothing ourselves in humility. Another way to say this, perhaps, if you find yourself struggling to remember to pray, I would look at pride. Because you don't struggle to remember to pray when you are very aware of a need. And how can we live in these mortal shells and not be very aware of the need for grace, of the need for the strengthening of God, of the need for his mercy, of the need for him to help us against our pride. It is pride that loses sight of its own weakness and therefore can forget to pray. Prayerlessness is pridefulness. And humility will lead us to pray. Friend, put on prayer as a clothing of humility. I feel like this is a Sunday school lesson where point number four is pray and point number five is read your Bible. <laughs> number five, read your Bible. <laughs> 
don't know about you, but so often when I actually get to that point of decision of whether I'm going to open my Bible or not, I am very tuned in to how I feel. Very tuned in to how I feel. I don't feel like reading right now. I don't feel like this is going to make a difference. I don't feel like God is going to meet me. But God's word says something else, doesn't it? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness to, to know those things. And I trust we know those things. To know those things. And then to put our feelings above those things is an act of pride. Because what humility does is it takes God's word and it gets under it. It's under God's word. God, this is what you said. This is true regardless of how I feel. So I'm going to read your word regardless of how I feel today about me or about you or about your word. I'm going to trust that your word is, is true. Humility reads because God says it works and trusts him. So read your Bible. Number six, insist on counsel. Insist on counsel. Now when I say this, I mean that you should insist with yourself, taking yourself by the shirt, so to speak, upon receiving counsel in major decisions. That you, in other words, refuse to indulge in independent, on your own, isolated from the body of Christ, decision-making. Here's what God's word says, Proverbs 11. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Then again in Proverbs, for by wise guidance, you can wage war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. God's word points us to a reality that in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is victory. God speaks. There is wisdom found in counselors. And, and it is not found in isolation. When there's no guidance, a people falls. <coughs> this is probably a harder one because we're all, we're all just born and baptized into American culture, which is so independent. And the idea that we might need others in the body of Christ is, while biblical, very opposed to the kind of just air that we breathe as a part of our culture. Be aware that independence in our making big decisions is an act of pride. I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to examine the XYZs. I'm going to make a little chart with the pluses and minuses. I'm going to make a decision. But scripture calls us to humble ourselves and to ask, 
for counsel? Should I, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move to this city? Should I switch to this church? Should we have another child? These are big decisions. And let me say it this way. Mature believers walk them out together. This is not to give up your responsibility before God. No one else takes responsibility for the decisions you make. You, you take responsibility for the decisions you make. But we are called to do it by looking for godly counselors. And so insist in your own heart, insist with yourself on counsel. Leads me directly to the next one, number seven. Build a team of counselors. Build a team of counselors. You want someone in your life who's mature in Christ, who knows you, who loves you, who knows your situation, and who's ready to counsel you in that situation, that does not happen overnight. That takes at least a year of investing in relationships. And at first, it takes some kind of scattering the seed broadly. And then over time, more specific with with folks that you're actually connecting with that are mature in Christ, that demonstrate a trustworthiness, a, a, a legitimate care for you, that are willing to bear your burdens. It, I can't just tell you, insist on counsel, go get it. You, you have to have begun to cultivate a lifestyle that says, I need, I'm going to need that one day. Let me start looking to build that today. You start building my team of counselors today. So don't, don't wait until you need the counsel. That day's coming. Humility should assume and know I'm going to need counsel one day. So today, let me be investing in relationships with my brothers and sisters. Right. Number eight, closely related. Attend care group. Attend care group. Um, here is an easy way to build a team of counselors. In fact, I could say, here is a pre-built team of counselors for you to get to know and to take advantage of. We've, we've set these up within the church already. And within that group, you're going to find some are ahead of you in Christ. Some are less mature than you are in Christ. You'll be able to give some wise counsel to some and receive some wise counsel from others. Here's a ready-made group, but it's, it's ready-made, but it's, it's not ready to give you good counsel till the folks there know you. So you've got to be attending regularly and building those relationships so that you have that. But in addition, there's man, putting on humility. Okay, I'm going to attend carefully. I know I need counselors. You know, I know I need to, to learn to serve. You'll find opportunities to serve at Caregroup. That's another step of humility, to begin to serve those that are there. You'll find opportunities to share your needs in Caregroup. That's a step of humility. Do we need a seventh inning stretch? Everybody doing good? All right, got a few more. Number nine, if you're wondering, I'll tell you now, we have 12. Number nine, confess your sins. Confess your sins. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So what I'm speaking of here is not asking forgiveness when you wrong somebody. That's a different issue. This is 
going to your trusted brothers and sisters and saying, generally, this is what I struggle with. And this is where I failed this week. Confessing your sin. I think this is the hardest one for me that I'm aware of so far. The first one's relatively easy. Generally, this is where I struggle. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We all have our general struggles. This week, X, Y, Z. The words just don't seem to flow very easily. Hard to do. And what's hard is, is my pride wanting to keep it in. Some people call this accountability. Christians confessing sins with other Christians. It is biblical and it is humble. If you've ever heard that voice that says, don't share that. They're going to think you're nuts. They're never going to look at you the same way. They're going to stop respecting you if you share that. They're going to look down on you if you share that. Just let you know, that is the voice of pride. Be worried about what they think about you. Here's the voice of the Spirit. Clothe yourself, all of you, in humility toward one another. And it is, friend, a step of humility to admit your sin to another believer. Caution applies. This isn't something we do with massive groups. This is with people that we know, that we know love us, that are proven to be trustworthy. But within that, let's go. Let's be about what God would call us to there. Let me say it this way too. Would you, would you experience grace to overcome sin? Is that something you want in your life? Grace to overcome sin? Well, he gives grace. To the humble. Is there an area of sin in your life where you are like, man, I don't feel a lot of grace here? Let me ask you, are you pursuing humility there? Because he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Oftentimes in the life of the believer, a, a sin that has a strong grip exists in the dark. And there's a relationship there that God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. If you're looking for grace in an area of your life, I encourage you to find that trusted counselor and begin asking them to pray for you. Confess to you. All right. The next two have to do with conflict. Woohoo! Our favorite thing. And just like before, I'm talking about conflicts that are, you know, we might say you're, you're every, from your everyday to your potentially relationship-destroying kind of conflicts that you might have with other believers. Number 10, admit your sin. Admit your sin. If you are in a close relationship with another believer, you will step on their toes. And they will step on your toes. Welcome to earth. I know I might be surprising you. This is how it goes. Right? close relationship with someone else you're going to step on each other's toes sin is going to come out 
and you will be very aware of their sin. Very easily. Okay. You might be right. Beware sinful judgment, but you might be right. Maybe they did sin against you. Friends, the step of humility in the conflict while you are yet angry is to say, what about me, Lord? What about me, Lord? Have I contributed? Where have I contributed? How have I contributed? What have I done that's wrong? Some of the advice I've given to my own kids when they're in a conflict with, say, another kid. Listen, I know you're aware of what they did. Stop. Pray. Has the Lord shown you anything that you did? Even one thing? Then jump on that. And take that to them and apologize for it. Just whatever that one thing is, take it. Jump on it. You know why? Because God's going to give grace to the humble. That's why. That's what he's going to do. He's going to give grace. If you can identify an area where you have sinned, then take it to your brother or sister. So when I say ad admit your sin, I think the greater part of that probably is getting to actually see it in us. Become, shift our eyes from just the focus on them to being willing to look at us, right? But here's the other piece, is to actually call it sin. You will be surprised. Try it. <laughs> your indwelling sin will fight you on this. Your pride will fight you on this. To call, you know, sinful anger irritation. I wasn't sinfully angry. I was irritated. I was just out of sorts. I was hungry. I was tired. I'm a little hangry. Now listen, being tired, being hungry does make it easier to get angry. We're humans. But sinful anger is still sinful anger. And if we're going to confess it and admit it, we ought to confess it and admit it as the sin that it is. So call anger, anger. Call lust, lust. Call selfishness, selfishness. There is a, um, there's a move in our culture, but there's a move right in my heart and yours to be imprecise in my own language about my own sin to kind of shade the edges. I really don't want to admit to selfishness, but I can kind of hint towards it and just say I was hungry. And I'll just say that there's a good distance between those two things. And a pursuit of humility is to insist on ourselves. I'm, I'm going to call my sin for what it is, by God's grace. I'm going to name it and I'm going to repent of it to others. 1 John 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Nobody here would say you don't have sin, right? But I'm convinced that there's a, there's a, uh, a way we walk out our theology, right? Do your words essentially say you have no sin? Or do your words admit specifically? Boop. 
There it was. That was my sin. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for that? Which leads us to number 11. Ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. Remember, these two have to do with conflict with others. So, number 10 was admit your sin. Number 11, ask forgiveness for your sin. This is... Um, <laughs> this is hard to do in a conflict. Because remember, you started the conflict so aware of what they were doing wrong. And while still aware... And you can come back to it. Let that be the order of events. Come back to their sin. Get to yours first. Let that be the order of events. That's what maturity looks like as a believer. All right? Yep. We'll get to yours, God willing. But I, I, I need to get to mine. This is where I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? When I said those words to you and you thought I was angry... You were right. That was sinful anger. I was being selfish. Would you please forgive? I am opposed every step of the way with this. Would you please forgive me is hard. Sorry is so much easier somehow. So much easier. Sorry. My bad. I'm still growing. Let's go grab dinner kind of half admissions, half apologies, which I suppose are better than none. And yet, would you please forgive me? Um, that is pride destroying, let me tell you. Because it, what it is, is it's putting yourself knowingly, willfully, vocally in their debt. Now I rely upon you to choose to graciously offer forgiveness or not. I don't deserve forgiveness. I'm asking for forgiveness. Would you please forgive me? Parents, we have such opportunity here. You want to build a gospel-centered culture in your home? Start right here. And when you sin against your kids, you do. And the Lord in his kindness opened your eyes to see, oh, that was sin. Go to them. Admit your sin. By name. And get down and ask your little one to forgive you. That is humbling. But you want to see joy on the face of a little one? Unbelievable. Just brightness, happiness, quick hugs. Yes, Daddy. How many times my kids have forgiven? And perhaps God will use that to show them what grace is really all about. You want to build a culture of law in your home? Then do this. Show them your perfection all the time and just demand that they measure up. You want to build a culture of grace? Then when your sins come out, admit your need for a Savior. 
Ask them for forgiveness. Let them hear you praying and asking Jesus for forgiveness. And they're going to start to change the way they think about grace. Grace is enough for my daddy. Grace is enough for my mommy. Maybe grace will be enough for me. Two. It's a culture of grace. And the great thing is, we all can build this one. Because <laughs> all you got to do to get started is sin. <laughs> so, like, don't worry. Like, entry-level culture of grace in the home. Sin, and then clothe yourself. Run to your closet in that moment. And maybe that just means shoot up that quick prayer. prayer. God, help me right now. I don't want to do this, but help me right now to humble myself in front of my kids. It works, honest, honestly. From about the age of three, when they have kind of a, a rough understanding. The farthest I've seen is 21. It's still working there. Um, because they're human beings. And it's confusing when, when daddy sins and daddy doesn't admit it. Was that a sin or not? That was hurtful. Why did he say that? Why did he? Oh, that was your sin. Oh, it's not my fault. Oh, oh, it's your fault. Oh, but daddy, I love you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a culture of grace. Praise God for it. All right. Last one. And then we're going to have communion together. Last one. Accept God's forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness. And I want to apply this right now. I'm aware that um, this message, and I think the last one as well, are heavy. That there's no one sitting here in their right mind uh, who's not feeling a level of conviction. Who's not just aware, oh wow, yeah, Ken, just keep kicking me, would you please? <laughs> Goodness sakes. <laughs> you know? I got 12 kick marks after these 12 things. Um, so let me remind you what the revelation of sin is meant to me. Right? You see, do you see pride in your life? Well, here's what humility does when it sees pride. It takes it to the cross. God, forgive me. I forgive me. Would you, pray, would you please? You know what pride wants to do? Work its way out. I gotta clean this up. I gotta make this better. I, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait to go to God until I've got a handle on this. Humility goes to Christ just as I am and says, Your grace is enough for me with all this mess. Would you please forgive me? And so if, if you are convicted of pride, let me let me point you away for a minute from all the clothing in the closet you're trying to accumulate. Yep, we want to put on the clothing of humility. Let me point you away from that and let me point you to Christ. When we're convicted of sin, let us go to Christ with our sin and find freedom from our sin and forgiveness for our sin. Here's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All is a really big word in that sentence. I love that word in that sentence because he cleanses us not from most, not from some, not from the easy ones. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And humility 
takes God's word and puts it over top of our feelings. I don't feel worthy of forgiveness. But this is what he said. I don't feel like asking for forgiveness right now. But this is what he said. This is the enemy accusing me right now. Shut up. But this is what he said. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't have to carry these. Glory to God. What freedom there is in this for the believer. And so I get to leave you with this task of confessing your sin as God revealed it this morning. While we get ready for communion in a moment, consider, Lord, what do I need to repent of? And then to receive his forgiveness, to accept the forgiveness. I might say to believe the forgiveness of God. There are reasons to not take communion. If you're not a believer, don't take communion. There's another reason not to take communion. If, if you are aware that you have sinned against someone else and you haven't gone to them, go to them before you take communion. But here's a reason to take communion. You're aware of your sin and your unworthiness for communion. And you say to yourself, yes, but he died for me. Yes, but if I confess, even I, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just. He will forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I think we can receive communion in a few minutes as an act of so worship team, if you could come on up. And church, um, before you stand, uh, the ushers are ready in the back. If you didn't get the communion elements yet, um, uh, go ahead and raise your hand. George is looking around for you. There's one over here. Um, we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to receive God's grace and take communion.